0: We went to school. She had a driver. So the driver would take us to school. Um, we would do like the, day, the day-to-day things. However, like I said, my household, they had a maid and they had a cook. Oh, that's right. Yes. So, you know, really, when we would get back, we would watch TV <laughs> um, in French. And I would sit there and watch the shows with them. And all of a sudden, it was like a light came on. And I knew <laughs> what everyone was saying. That's amazing. <laughs> and I knew, and then I started to dream in French. Now, the thing with the market was my um, exchange sister told me not to speak. She was like, don't talk. And I remember we went to this one market, and the guy was trying to sell me something. And he was like, I know you're American by the way you walk. Mm-hmm. And that really, um, it didn't make me feel some kind of way, but it resonated.
1: hello hello welcome to young gifted and abroad perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color my name is danielle and i'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today i have my friend Jeannie as the guest before i tell you about Jeannie, i do want to announce that this is the second to last episode of the year Um, as has become custom for me I will be closing up shop, so to speak, in November, (laughs) and then hopefully coming back for brand new episodes in January. That's the plan. And I do plan on putting out something uh, special, something a little extra in December. But as far as regular episodes go, we've got Jeannie this week, and then another lovely new guest in two weeks, and then that's it. So, (laughs) just wanted to put that out there that this is the second to last episode of Young Gifted and Abroad in 2021. All right, so about Jeannie. Jeannie is from Washington, D.C. And when she was in high school, when she was 16, she got the opportunity to go on a three week exchange trip to Senegal, specifically Dakar and Morocco, specifically Marrakech. Uh, she, along with a handful of other high school students in DC at the time, won an essay contest and were selected to be exchange students on this trip. So we talked a lot about that experience Most of Jeannie's time was spent in Senegal. Morocco kind of bookended the trip, but the bulk of it was two weeks spent in Senegal living with the host family. So, you know, we talked about Jeannie living with the family of the Senegalese student who came to stay with Jeannie in DC when it was her turn. And um, we talked about all the new things Jeannie learned both about Senegal and Morocco respectively, but also about herself uh, because everything about this experience was new to her. In fact, she was actually the first person on either side of her family to travel internationally in this way. And so obviously that had a huge impact on her at the time uh, upon returning to the States, she was still a high school student, but also the insights she gained from back when she was 16, lent extremely well to the travels that she did as an adult. In particular, she went on this kind of family affair of a trip to Europe and the Middle East with her parents and her children. So we talked about that as well and how that all came together, what was supposed to be a solo trip became a family trip, which is uh, (laughs) be really interesting for you all to hear how that happened. And speaking of Jeannie's children, Jeannie is actually the founder of The Parenting Cipher, which is an online community and a podcast that caters to black parents of special needs children. So that's something that Jeannie is very passionate about, we spoke about that as well, and how serious she is about helping parents feel empowered to ask the questions that they need to ask in whatever situation, health-wise, education, and beyond, so that they are able to do what they need to do for their children and also for themselves. So there's a lot of food for thought in this interview. I really hope that y'all get a kick out of Jeannie. She has a wonderful sense of humor, has tons of anecdotes has this really nice blend of both thoughtful and (laughs) hilarious so without further ado sit back relax and enjoy my interview with my friend Jeannie Dawkins Okay well why don't we go ahead and get started then with you introducing yourself a bit if you don't mind. okay
0: Are we now
1: <laughs> yeah 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 we're recording so whenever you want to go oh can okay.
0: Go. <laughs> Hello everybody I'm Jeannie Dawkins and I am the founder and host of the Parent cipher podcast and um, on my podcast I help um, par- black parents with special needs kids. Manage and navigate the intersections of medical, education, and home life.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into that as well um, later on because I have some questions about that as well, in addition to, you know, your adventures around the world. <laughs> so when we communicated, you were saying that you were an exchange student for three weeks. In Senegal, Morocco, and you got to go because you won an essay contest. Is that yes. correct? Okay. Yes. So can you tell me about that? Like, um, why this essay contest was happening and, and what made you want to, to
0: apply for it? So, um, I'm located in Washington, D.C. and our Senate representative, because, you know, D.C. is not a state, so we just have a representative, hmm. um, Eleanor Holmes Norton, decided that she wanted to create an abroad program for, um, DC public school students. And, um, part of choosing students was for you to write an essay. And my dad, my dad's like a huge influence, um, on my life as far as like, um, exposure, exposing us to different things growing up. And one of the things that was the world's flair. And my dad is also like pro black, you know, woke, you know, you know all the things. And, you know, when I was growing up, I always kind of was like, I'm, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of the United States. <laughs> when it goes to crap, I got to get out of here. Like, that's always been my thing. And um, when the essay contest came up, I was like, okay. Because at the time, I was looking at abroad programs. But um, back then, it was very limited as far as actually how minorities can get into going abroad. This is like back in the um in the eighties and the nineties, actually the eighties. Um it was very hard for us to get into it. And when we did try, it usually was um like you had to join a community, you had to do fundraising. It just seemed to be like really difficult. So when the app when the um when the applications came out and I heard about it, I was like, Oh, this is my chance. I can't even remember what I wrote about. <laughs> um but I got chosen and actually, my close friend back then, she got chosen as well. Oh, okay. So do you, do you remember how many people
1: total got chosen to to go on this exchange? Mm,
0: wait a minute. Because it's, it's real clear because it wasn't that many people. <laughs> it was like um, between six. It was six or eight of us. Okay. And
1: I'm sorry. Could you mention again the name of the person who, who organized this? Um, Eleanor Holmes Norton. Okay. Do you know if she, if she like partnered with some sort of organization in Senegal, and Morocco? Like, did she organize this by herself, or do you know if there was
0: there was a other partnership. entities involved? I okay, there was a partnership, and most definitely, because it was an exchange program. But mm-hmm. I can't tell you which. Uh, okay, back oh. then I was just too excited. I got chosen, right?
1: <laughs> For sure, yeah. And you said you don't remember what you wrote about. I was going to ask if you remembered
0: what you wrote, but, um, it's okay if you don't remember. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, if I was to reflect, it, it was something about why you wanted to go abroad. Mm. It's a three week trip and the exchange part was in Senegal. Mm. But part of that particular trip was we also got to experience Morocco, um, two days en route to Senegal and two days coming back.
1: Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense because I was wondering how you split the time up, but I get I get what you're saying. Most of it was in Senegal, and then Morocco was like at the like book ended your trip at the beginning and the end. Okay,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I mean you're you're 16 years old going to Senegal and Morocco. You, I think you said something uh, previously about how you were like the first person uh, out of. A lot of people that you knew to go abroad. So, I mean, how were
0: you feeling about going on this trip at the time? Um, I was just excited. And what's interesting is I never—I've I, done a lot of things in my my youth, mm. and I never actually had conversations with my parents. So I remember coming home, and I'm like, "Mom, I need you to take me to the office to get a passport." And she's like, "What? Why?" I'm like, <laughs> "I got chosen." <laughs> I got chosen to go to Morocco and Senegal, you know, so she took me to get my passport. Um I'm really like introverted, so like I can do accomplish a lot of things and I but I'm just like really low key and quiet. Mm. And you know, we had to get my luggage. I was excited about that. I didn't know what to expect. You know, we had our um, orientation and we got to meet some of the other students. Um Back then, Washington, D.C. was predominantly African-American, but we do have um, a section of D.C. back then. And it's still prominent. You know, it's predominantly white. So um, from that particular school, which is Wilson, um, they had a white exchange student. And she was like really, really cool. So I got to meet everybody. And, you know, I had my little checklist, you know. Um, I had to get my malaria shot. Mm. Um, I was not scared. I don't like shots, everybody. Um, (laughs) I will act a fool even at forty something years old. Um, when it's time for me to get a shot, I don't look. But (laughs) I ran into that office like, "Hey, here's my arm. (laughs) Give me the shot. Give me, give me the shot. I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta go." Oh my goodness! (laughs) And I remember getting. I remember going down to the passport office and um you know getting my, my photos and everything and i was just so excited so excited everybody that it's an exchange so that means you go and then they come and visit like mm-hmm. that they come and visit part was like nowhere in my <laughs> no in my head it was just like i'm going i'm going and um you know my parents was excited but leery hmm. they were very leery um as i mentioned you know when uh, in my email like i'm the very first person in my immediate family but i, was, I also want to say like oof outside of my uncle who was um who is it who was you know in the navy and my uncle who's in the army no one in either either my mom's or my dad's family have ever gone abroad just to travel mm. so my parents my especially my mom she's just like <laughs> What? Are you sure you want to go? I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: let's go. Yeah. You were ready. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> are, are you
0: an only child as well? No, I had three brothers. Three okay. younger brothers. Gotcha.
1: Well, I can understand them being, being leery as much as I'm sure they also were proud of you for getting this opportunity. Um Do you remember like, you had six to eight students, so I'm sure you had some sort of chaperones or something with you, right? Mhm. Okay. And then you mentioned being placed in a you were doing a homestay in Senegal. Mm-hmm. So were y'all living near each other? No. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it was interesting so what I can say about as far as the living arrangements was the families that were chosen literally they were in different income brackets, hmm. so my my family was more on like middle upper income bracket. So they actually had a house in Senegal in the city, but then they also had one like a little bit outside of the city. So you know, I got to be in you know living both both houses. Um, we had indoor plumbing. I, oh, so my luggage got lost. <laughs> uh-huh. My luggage got lost. Um, but I did follow the instructions of always carry a carry-on bag. But back then, you know, carry-on bag was your extra, right? Mm-hmm. But I was there for two weeks, so I didn't have any luggage. But my um host sister, you know, let me borrow her clothes. And however, my friend, she her host family was not mid upper income bracket. So for her, her house, she had to go like outside to go to the bathroom. You know, like they have an outhouse, like mm-hmm. call it, you know, in the States we call it an outhouse. So it's like a hole and it has like, you know, something built around it, um, which is not a big deal. It's a big deal for her because one of the things that they tell you, because I'm a stickler for the rules guys. Okay. So one of the <laughs> things they tell you is not to eat the cream. Okay. Any milk products. Oh. And part of our trip was, you. it's not like, you know, you get off the plane from Senegal and you immediately go to your host family. We went to a hotel first to mm. get settled. And um they decided, her and some other people decided they were going to get strawberries and cream. I was like, they said not to eat the milk products. So by the time she had gotten to her host family's house, the, the milk product had messed her up. So she was really sick. She was throwing up and she had to throw up in the hole, which mm. was a big deal. And she was trying to find me and call me <laughs> to... Um, you know, basically like, like, where are you? Where are you? I mean, they had a phone, but for some reason I didn't get her call. And, you know, by the time we, it wasn't a, the type of exchange where you get to see the people that you're on the exchange with every day. Hmm. Because it's different families, different income brackets, different neighborhoods. So outside of maybe the call, and then we also did um like group events. So we have one event where we... um we went to a village. We had another event where which is so weird. Because back then I was like, what? It's like, you know, you're driving to Senegal and you see Malcolm X. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're driving in Senegal and you see Martin Luther King. And it's like, What? Really? <laughs> and um one of the trips was to go to see the the um the artwork surrounding them. And I think we did something where we also went to like a consulate office. So we had like those type of activities, but on a daily, we didn't see each other. Mm.
1: Okay. When you say
0: seeing um, MLK and Malcolm X, are these like- It's art that you would see around. So you know how like we have like the graffiti art. Mm-hmm. They have the same thing. Oh, like murals and stuff. Okay. So they have a bunch of murals um, around that even have some streets named that, which is like really- for me, back then, it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs>
1: you feel like you're, you're global. Right. Black it's,
0: Americans it's, are everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, it's kind of like you don't think of those things mm-hmm. at that age. You know, it's like ownership. Like we own Martin Luther King and Malcolm X because they're American, but not really understanding the influence mm-hmm. that they've had worldwide. Right. Yeah. I can imagine how
1: impactful it would have. A bit. It would have been to see that in Senegal. So you said, like, you know, y'all weren't, you and the other prior participants weren't, like, near each other, didn't see each other every day. But were y'all all based around, I'm assuming y'all were around, uh is it Dakar? Is that what it is? The big mm-hmm. city? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were based around the, the big city there. Okay. Do you remember, since it was an exchange, were you placed in the, the families of the students who would then come to D.C.? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so you met the the people who were like in the same position as you, but from Senegal. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. You mentioned having activities that you went on as a as a group, but do you remember what like your day to day was like? Like, were you attending school or helping at home
0: or something like that? Well, we went to school. I vaguely remember that. Um, we went to school. She had a driver. So the driver would take us to school. Um, we would do like the daily the day-to-day things. However, like I said, my household they had a maid and they had a cook. Oh, that's right, yes. So, you know, really, when we would get back, we would watch TV. <laughs> um, and French. Mm. Um, and what one of the I found that would be like the most oh my goodness. The thing that stands out to me the most as far as language is I had taken French for four years in high school Mm -hmm. and um, my French teacher, she was so ecstatic. She was so excited for me. She was like, oh, you're going to be speaking French. And I was like, (laughs) oh, I don't even know lady. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but I was good. But what I found was if you ever talk to anyone who goes abroad They'll always tell you that you know you have the language when you start to dream Mm -hmm. in that language. Yep. And I would sit there and watch the shows with them. And all of a sudden, it was like a light came on. And I knew (laughs) what everyone was saying. That's amazing. (laughs) And I knew. And then I started to dream in French. But, like, my friend, she took French as well. But she wasn't leaning into it. Okay. I was leaning into it. Because I'd rather have a bad accent than not at least try. Mm-hmm. So it started for me like necessity. Like, where is the bathroom? Ooh, toilet. <laughs> where, is the bathroom? where is the bathroom? And then from there, I started asking more questions. Um, We would go to the markets. Now, the thing with the market was my um, exchange sister told me not to speak. She was like, don't talk. Oh. And she was like, because as soon as you talk, they're going to know you're American and they're going to raise the price. Take advantage of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard but, that a lot too. <laughs> right. But one of the things with that, that I found, the once it was so many different little things that just um, changed my perception of actually being American, period. Okay. Um, and I remember went to this one market and the guy was trying to sell me something. And he was like, You American. I know you American. And I didn't say anything. I swear, guys, he spoke to me in like four to five different languages. Hmm. And he was, at the end, he was like, I know you. I know you American. I know you American. I know you American by the way you walk. Hmm. And that really, um, it didn't make me feel some kind of way, but it resonated to the point where I was questioning what does that mean? When you say, you know I'm American by the way I walk. Mm. And it was actually towards the end of the trip, when I was in Morocco, that I really began to gain clarity around that. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean,
1: what, you you gain clarity about that, you know, how you give off. You kind of reveal where you're from, even without trying to. So how, like with the walking thing, how (laughs) how do Mary? From your experience, how did you discover that Americans carry themselves that makes them stand out to people?
0: Well, one of the things is the way that we walk. I'm not going to say it's an arrogance to it, but it's about like taking up space.
3: Hmm.
0: Right. Even if you want to kind of correlate it with the ideology that a lot of Americans have, like if you come here, you should speak my language. It's a little arrogance to that. Um, Hmm. You go to another person's country but you want them to speak your language. Mm. And I really just started to like not pay attention to myself, but also pay attention to the people that I travel with, mm-hmm. right? How are they walking? How are they talking? What are they doing? Sometimes it's hard for you to really look at yourself <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> without blind ears, but you can look at other people real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's true. And I, you know, I started to like really pay attention and I was like, I can see what they're saying but we're not all that way but you know later on I'll talk about like how that translated into when I decided as an adult to travel mm-hmm. the conversations that I started to have with my parents to prepare them to go abroad from from that learning experience
3: mm-hmm.
0: it really changed my perception of who I'm being and how I show up you know, being American doesn't mean that we're entitled. However, you know, especially given this climate where we talk about white privilege, there is a way when you're an American and you go to other countries that's considered, you know, quote unquote third world, right? There is a little a little ways that we can, you know, come across. Mm-hmm.
1: I hear what you're saying. Sure. Um, you know, you mentioned having perceptions of... Yourself as an as an American and how that evolved through being in um, on your exchange trip. Did you have any perceptions or I guess preconceived notions about what being in in Africa would be like? Since you're going to these two African countries, did you have any perceptions of what am I trying to say? Any type of expectations of how
0: Senegal or Morocco would be before you got there? No. None at all. Hmm. It's really funny. You would think like, (laughs) I would have. I didn't have any. I kind of just went in as a blank slate. Okay. That's good though. That's what people, a lot of people say you should do. (laughs) So you
1: don't end up, um, well, not just disappointed, but also like cutting yourself off from the full experience, right? Right. Because you have too many expectations in your head. Okay. So you were, like you said, a blank slate when you went in. Oh yes, this is just a small thing I was curious about. When you were watching um, TV with your host sister, mm-hmm. your host sister, um, mm-hmm. were these all like Senegalese shows, or were some of them like shows from other countries in French?
0: Really, they were. I remember watching the news. We were watching um, soccer. They did have some um, shows that were American, which I was really surprised. Mm. But they were older, so they weren't the shows that we were currently watching. Okay. They were shows like maybe a couple of years behind us. Okay. Yeah, because there was no Wi Fi back there. Right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I am aging myself so hard. That's all right. <laughs> That's
1: okay. <laughs> uh, do you remember any other languages that were spoken in your, um, the household you were in, in Senegal? Like Wolof or anything like that? Do you remember? Yes, they spoke Wolof. Okay. Were you able to learn some of that too? Or is it mostly just French? Just
0: the mostly French. But I learned a couple of words. But I, I don't know if this is just a cultural thing or, you know, depending on where you fall as far as like middle class, upper class, lower class. Mm-hmm. But my family tended to speak Wolof or maybe just because I was there, but they tended to speak ain't Wolof not that much mm. like I heard Wolof spoken more when I was outside of the home or when we visit their relatives okay when we were inside the home they tend to speak French
1: hmm yeah I don't. I, maybe they figured that would be easier for you to understand mm-hmm. interesting okay and within your host family do you remember how many people
0: it was um, it was my host sister, her mom, her dad, and she had a brother. Okay. And a sister. So, including you, it was six people
1: mm-hmm. in the household. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. And what was it like going to school? Um, do you remember if anything stood out about that? If it was, like, any strikingly similar or different from what you were used to back in D.C.?
0: It was different. It So, it's, the classrooms are different. The schools are different. I mean, when, as far as like you're talking about structure. So mm-hmm. I live in a city. So, you know, Senegal is in the, you know, it's in the desert per se. Mm. So there's the school structures are different. The classrooms were different. Um, it's only that I can say is like if you were to like look at the schools. It was like that, like when you like Oprah, I call use Oprah. Like Oprah goes to the schools, <laughs> you know, in Africa. And they were more like that versus like, you know, being in the city. Mm-hmm. But I was really, one of the things that stuck out was that they, they learned so many different languages mm. as well as I, it was something with the math that I was like, wow, we're not doing that math in my class, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like they're like, but then, I because that's what it was. So, so then I had a conversation. Um, I don't know if it was with one of the chaperones or if it was with my, with my host sister. Because I'm always curious. Like, there's certain things that draw my attention. Mm-hmm. So because of that difference, I, you know, I started to ask them about their school system. Because, of course, even though it's Africa, you know, colonized by the French, there are some, a lot of, like, French things. So, like, when um, they have, like, the big lunch. So, you know, you go to school and then you take like two hours and you go home mm-hmm. and you eat with your family. And then you may go back to school and finish your day out. But, um, I had asked them about the school system and they were explaining that it's a little different from, you know, here in the States. So like their high school is like college. Mm. Their middle school is like high school. So, so that, that was their way of explaining to me why they're ahead of us. But even if you really think about it like as I've grown and I just love me some Korean drama, okay?
1: Um and
0: All you even right, look, me too. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, we're not gonna talk about this the stalkerism that goes on, okay? Yeah. But yeah. even when you look at their school system, it's almost comparable, like how they look at it, as well as you have to pay. In Africa, you have to pay if you decide you wanna go to high school, otherwise college. Mm. It's not. It's not. You know, part of like the state's gonna go ahead and pay for you, you know. And just like in South Korea, it's the same way, you know. And there's a whole bunch of like intentful, you know, going into school intentfully to accomplish something versus it's something that someone is making you do. Hmm. You know, education is like one of my. It's one of my things. I really love education. The education system, the theory of it. But, you know, living in America, you can see a lot of different ways that it can be improved. And as far as, like, one of my things for kids is, are you telling them what their life and their journey is going to be? Or are you asking them, what is it going to be? Someone's more likely to really enjoy their life and not have regrets when they're making their own decisions. And you can use your your parent power, right, Mm -hmm. to actually, you know, talk to them about it. You know, they're of you, but they're not yours. Mm-hmm. So that's like one of the things I really do love about, um, you know, foreign schools. It's not so much the like, people don't get married to the fact that you had to pay for it, it's the fact that one, the child who goes that way knows how important it is and the value of it. I so see. when they go in, they're going in intentionally and with a goal instead of it's something someone's making them do. Right.
1: Like, you have to do this, and we're not going to tell you why or try to make it fun or interesting or or help you be excited about it. A lot of instances, I guess I'm thinking in a public school, American public school context, a lot of times it's just like, you're a kid and kids go to school, you have to go to school, that's it. Right. Anything. Kind of I mean, that's obviously a very bare bones description of it. <laughs> there are wonderful learning communities in public schools all across the country. I'm not trying to disparage anything, but I, I get the the attitude
0: is different. I guess it's it's, it's different Serious.
1: Yeah,
0: it made me rethink uh, how I was in high school. <laughs> I mean, during that time, it made me rethink mm-hmm. how I showed up in high school. Needless to say, I always felt like school was my way out education was my way out but it it put a little bit more intent and pep in my step yeah. like I, I when i came back i came out my box and when i say that i was very um academics was my lane and but it's like what doing a team Nah, i ain't doing that doing a sport Shh, i don't wanna play no sport join the club I don't want to be in nobody's club <laughs> like very anti cause I'm an Aquarian so anybody knows Aquarians like we just be anti for no reason like <laughs> you just be like what everybody go right oh no we got to go left I just my soul tells me I can't there's too many people going that way but when I came back I was like okay I have to make my I have to work on my college resume so I'm going to have to do this, this, and that. I joined the softball team. I joined the um, student council. Not only did I join the student council, somehow I became president of student council. <laughs> mm. You know, nice. I really was intent about building my college resume. I went to the library. I, I, at that time, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I looked up what, what I needed to have in place to make that happen for myself. Um, mm. coming back, it really, it didn't change who I was but it changed how I looked at things. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more um, more serious. So one of the things I say is sometimes, not sometimes, but, you know, a, as an American, speaking for myself, there's things in place and systems in place that we feel like someone's going to tell us what to do next, right? Mm-hmm. Someone's going to guide us. If you're a student, that's what I have a guidance counselor for. She's supposed to help me get to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, after I came back, I wasn't on that page anymore. I was on, okay, let me let me find out what I need to make this happen for myself because she may not be on my page. Mm-hmm. What her expectations of where I'm going to be, I can't let her tell me what her, my expectations are if we're not on the same page. But most importantly, I don't know what page to be on because I'm going on her page, not my own. Mm-hmm. So when I came back, I was in the library, like, I want to be a psychiatrist. What do I need to have in place? I mean, back then, I don't mean, it might be different now, but back then you didn't have academic coaches. You didn't have someone who sits and says, what do you want to do when you go to college or what do you want to do with your life? And then actually walk you through what needs to happen. Because in those intermediate steps, you might be like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, you
1: can when you came back, you Ugh. became more intentional, like you
0: said, more I guess engaged in tr- shaping your own future. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, but just to, just to, just for jokes and giggles. anyone mm-hmm. listens to my podcast, I always like to make things fun. Because mm-hmm. life is real, but it's it can be fun. So one of the things about my trip to Senegal and mm-hmm. Morocco was the sand. Mm. Sand, 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 sand. And we, when we had to go to events, I would have to wear stockings. So you can imagine sand in the stockings. And by the time we got home, imagine um, teenagers getting off of the plane, kissing the concrete. <laughs> like we literally were like on hands and knees. Concrete! Yes! I hate sand! I hate sand so much! <laughs> my mom was like, you crazy? I was like, you don't understand.
1: <laughs> uh, was it really that bad? It would get in like your, like you said, your shoes or your stockings oh, yeah. and your clothes and stuff. Yes, man.
0: Yes. And then, you know, we, we've never been there before. So trust our, our chaperones probably never been there, mm-hmm. but you know, there's expectations. So, you know, like I said, went to the consulate's office and it's different type of turf. So you can go someplace, like you can go to the car and it's, it's mostly, you know, concrete, mm-hmm. but then you'll come out and then it's like sand, sand, <laughs> sand everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I just remember this one event, they made us dress up. And it was like, when we got there, we all came off the bus. I was like, see, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it was, um, one, it was, it was a, it, I want to say a poor village, but it was just like a village. And here we are Americans and we're dressed like in fancy clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, I was just kind of like, this is off. Like, what message are we sending? Because I've always been, like, very, very very conscious. And that's probably why I went into, like, for my majors, actually, sociology. I love people interactions I find to be interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wide range of experiences that you had in um, Senegal. Oh, I remember a question I was going to ask. So, I'm assuming... Since y'all were placed in different households of different kind of socioeconomic statuses, like, each of y'all went to a different school, right? You went to the mm-hmm. school that your whole sp- sibling attended, right? So mm-hmm. y'all weren't going to school together in Senegal no. either. Okay. There's another logistical thing I was going to ask. Oh, chaperones. Um, where were they all... Because, you know, the students... You all in the you know exchange student group Were in your host families Where would the chaperones stay And how would you reach them if you had issues
0: They stayed in the hotel And um, they gave us a number to call If we needed any, any help Okay. Or any assistance And that's actually how my friend found me okay. <laughs> <laughs> She was done She was like I'm ready to go
1: <laughs> um,
0: She didn't leave early though did she No she didn't leave early okay. when we come together we gotta leave together Yeah yeah well, that's good. I even though I know she had a really hard time <laughs> starting out. Now <laughs> uh, look, anybody, anybody, whenever you go abroad, you need to follow instructions. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you said with the dairy products. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had told the name one listen. I wonder if that's still something that people say when um, when going to Senegal is not to eat the, consume the
0: dairy products. I hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. Times have changed, yeah. but. You know, it has to do with the pasteurization process. Right, right. It's kind of like some countries don't drink the water because they have different bacteria in the water and yeah. our body can't process it. Not to jump ahead, but like when we went to, um, when I went to, um, um when I went to the Middle East, when I went to Dubai, Oman, I went to some other Middle Eastern countries, they were like, don't drink the water.
1: So would you drink like, had to drink like
0: bottled water strictly, mm-hmm. uh, like filtered water? Okay. Oh, yes. I mean, filtered water, sparkling water. Uh, after coming off that trip, I was just like, where is the water? Regular <laughs> water. I don't want no sparkling water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I bet. I bet. Okay. So, um, oh, yes. Uh, so, you mentioned with Morocco. You basically, you started and ended the trip with Morocco, right? You came mm-hmm. in through Morocco
0: and then went to Senegal and then... So, Morocco was interesting. Okay. It's like, to this day, it stands out. Now, Morocco was interesting because... We were allowed, even we though we had chaperones. We were actually allowed to just go out by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We didn't really, you know, have to go out with chaperones all the time. Um, Even though, you know, back then it could be changed now. Like there were some rules. Like some of the rules was like, if you are female and you are out at certain times of the day or night, like towards the evening, then they assume that you are a prostitute. Right. Oh. That was one of the things, mm-hmm. and then it was another thing where. <laughs> Just to disclaim, it's, like, 80s, you know, high school students. So we were out one day. And one of the things is, like, the men, they're, like, they'll go. They're, like, they make kissy noises to you, right? It's so grimy. Um, <laughs> and it's, like, what? What's going on, right? Because you're not dressed. You know, they could tell that you're American. You're not dressed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're talking about, you know, young Black students. And, you know, we had, like, the, um, the white girl as a group it's like we kind of garnished attention mm. and they were always looking like you walking and they're looking looking and then the last time that we went like coming back we were like oh y'all want to look we're gonna put on a show right oh. <laughs> we're we gonna put on a show and then everybody start acting like flavor flame, right <laughs> like, and We like, and it was just like so crazy but it was so much fun it's like we're gonna put on the show for you guys because y'all keep you know looking right <laughs> um but we I learned a lot about the assumptions so it I didn't go into the trip thinking much of anything but then it's like how we talk about like unconscious bias mm-hmm. it's the same thing when you go to different countries you may not consciously know you're thinking a thing but i honestly kind of thought like africa's africa right mm. um but going to morocco and senegal It really hit home. Like, no, it's not. It's different cultures, different people, different languages. Mm -hmm. Even how you're treated, even how we were treated was different Mm
3: -hmm.
0: between the two, the two countries. Um, I love the Moroccan markets. I love the markets in Senegal, but you know, the conversation is different. The feel is different. Like when you come off the plane, I remember when I got off the plane with Senegal, one of the things that hit home the most was, Immediately, they could tell we were American, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact that some people were like, welcome home. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and some people were, you know, asking for things. Um, when we went to Morocco, it wasn't that way. It's a different climate altogether. But the other thing I forgot to mention this was that we went to the Dwarf No Return mm-hmm. when we were there. Okay. And, people who go if anyone has ever heard they will describe it as a spiritual experience yeah i will i'm totally going to agree that when we drove up spirit was heavy hmm. um without conversation you know this isn't the type of situation where you're on a trip and people are like going through this history of a place and you're like, Oh my God, that sounds terrible. It wasn't really like that. It was like, a we got there and you could just feel the soul, mm-hmm. you know, as we, and, and when we came in and for people who don't know, the door of no return is a major post of um, where a lot of slaves were being shipped to different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like different statues but you know, there and there's like scales, it's like different things, even if without anyone telling you, you can feel the weight, the weight of it. Yeah. And when you go to the door of no return, the weight on your spirit, you know, that really resonated with me. Um at the time it was just like, whoa, well, this is deep. You know, as I got older, it really touched to the concept of the collective unconscious that as African Americans or just culture, different cultures, period, Mm -hmm. you know, the experiences and the trauma is in the DNA. You know, we're never far away from it. The only difference is that some of us, we are, we are living in existence, not realizing that it's there, but we are constantly reacting to the fact that it's there. Mm -hmm. And um, literally I started to cry.
3: Yeah.
0: It was just so heavy, but the trip in total, it changed my perspective on a lot of things. When I see people in different cultures, I'm not coming from it from this angle of American privilege. I'm coming from an angle of you have to understand someone's culture to understand their perspective.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Um, And I'm glad you mentioned that because I I had heard of the of No Return in Ghana, and I remember... Learning about uh, another door of no return that there is in, um, in Benin. I don't know if you ever saw High on the Hog, the food documentary about Black American food. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they show that as well. So I don't know why it didn't occur to me that there would be one in Senegal as well. But, um, yeah, now that I know that, that there is one. I guess that makes sense if there are multiple slave ports in these different countries that there would be multiple different doors of no return, unfortunately. So. Yeah, I learned something new today. Thank you for mentioning
0: that. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so you were in Morocco, right? Um, do you remember where in Morocco you were? Let's
0: see. The city. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, have me look it up. <laughs> Marrakesh. You were in Marrakesh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was both times coming and going? Mm-hmm. Okay. So so but probably we felt comfortable acting fools on the way back, because we got real comfortable after. <laughs> I mean, have
1: been there before. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and were you all staying
1: in a hotel again when you were mm-hmm. passing through there as well? Okay. You said how you had like free reign or kind of had free reign to go around with your, your peers and explore. When y'all were going to explore, do you remember what your priorities were in terms of what you all wanted to do and things you wanted to see while you were in Marrakesh?
0: No, it's totally different when you were a teenager. You're just out and about. <laughs> and literally, we were just out and about. Like, you know, um, what was great when we went to Morocco was that we were in the city. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we had to really go far. And um, driving up, you know, if you're, if you're from the city and you ride the bus, you kind of get laid to land. <laughs> so as coming in, we kind of figure out where we wanted to go. So we never strayed far from the hotel. Okay.
1: Alright. Well, that works. Uh, because it seems like everyone's experience was a little different, like you said, since mm-hmm. you were placed in different home, uh, homestays and going to different schools. Do you remember if you were told, like, before y'all left, if there, if it was impressed upon you, how you should be behaving while you're in, on this well, exchange, yeah, I mean, or if you should learn something specific from this experience?
0: No, it wasn't anything about, like, you know, what you should learn. It yeah. was more of like how, you know, your representative. Uh, you know, don't be disrespectful, mm-hmm. you know, be mindful of your behavior. Um, one of the experiences I had that I didn't I don't I don't think we pay attention to it. I mean, I didn't pay attention to it, mm-hmm. um, was is body language. Mm. We went, we went to visit my whole sister's um, I guess it was her aunt. And um, we were making something and uh, I can't stand bugs. I got to just say, I cannot stand bugs. It's so weird. (laughs) So so the universe was known not to place me in certain households. And (laughs) um, a bug flew in and it disturbed me. So I had like this look on my face. And she just looked at my face and just immediately took offense, like cause she thought it was like towards her. Oh, because for them it's like a fly, what a bug, what? not a big deal. It's so yet. the fly's flying <laughs> and everybody's cool, except me. So I, at that point, I learned to really be mindful of my facial expressions. Like mm-hmm. it's not like it had nothing to do with her at all. But the things that bother me don't necessarily. It's not even a blip on this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're going to let that fly just lie, land right on your face. <laughs> like, Oh, oh no. And I have a, <laughs> I still do it, but I have a habit. Like when I see bugs, like I start to like scratch. And then I do this thing with my, <laughs> I do this thing with my nose. It's bad, it's, but it was worse then. But <laughs> because it's like, oh my God. So just as a disclaimer, like my, my dad comes from the country And I'm a city girl, but my dad used to always take us to the country. Mm. And when I say country, I'm talking about country. Pitch attention. Country. (laughs) So as an adult and even then, I could not stand bugs. Like if you want to see a grown person act a fool, put a bug in my car. (laughs)
1: I believe it. So, so I guess you felt like you had to like f- fix your face or,
0: you know, right after that, the expressions you were making. <laughs> I, I did. Um, because what I have realized was like, she was really vocal about <laughs> the offense, mm-hmm. but there was an instance where, um, we had went to this village and like I said, the flies were flying on people's heads and faces, but apparently I was making the same face And like, you know, and when I was reflecting, I reflected on like some of their faces and I realized that I had offended them. Mm -hmm. Like they thought it was about them when it really was just like, I'm gonna say it again. You just let that fly land right on your face.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so definitely a cultural difference there. Um, And also just like, I guess, adapting your personal like, your personal idea of comfort or what is normal like and or acceptable into this new context where no one's bothered by the thing that you're bothered about. <laughs> right. It's
0: not a thing. It is not a thing. And what is your problem? Mm-hmm. But when her aunt went off, like, I was, like, trying to explain myself. And she calmed down, but she was skeptical. Because <laughs> she was just like, that's not a thing. I'm like, oh, girl, you don't know. It's a thing. <laughs>
1: How dare this American child judge my household? <laughs> right, right. I'm like, oh, it's not about you, man. It's not about you. Oh goodness. Okay. Um. Since since this was an exchange, did your host sister come and was she staying with you when she came to
0: DC? Yes, yeah, she came. Um, she came and stayed with us for two weeks. Mm. And it was interesting. It was very interesting. Yeah. Also. Um, it was just interesting because, you know, when I went to see her and I'm like, oh, wow. Y'all, you got a maid? You got a chauffeur? Like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. But when she came here, it was kind of like, for her, I was like, my household was way better than hers, which is confusing. Hmm. But it's always about perception. You know what I'm saying? So, um, one of the things is like, they asked my dad for money and my dad was like, what? Like, why are they asking me for money? I was like, I don't know. Hmm. I don't. I don't know what's going on. Um, but she truly enjoyed herself. You know, I took, you know, she went to school with me and she met my friends. She did very well with the language and, you know, we went on trips. So it was a, it was a good exchange, I think, well, for us. Like, I don't yeah. know about everybody else, <laughs> but we had a good even exchange. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Yeah.
1: Do you, do you remember why she liked your household or why she thought her, your household was Better
0: than hers. You know what? Um, I'm not going to say hindsight is 2020, but what I'm going to say is, like, depending on how old you are, you know, you can grow up in a household and really not understand. Everybody doesn't have what you have. Mm. And like my dad and my my mom, they're, um, they they literally, um, you know, their households came out of the ghetto. My parents are like first generation middle class, okay. but my dad is a really tech. He's a techie person. He loves music. So my dad had, like, these big speakers. Like, whenever a new TV would come out, we would have, like, the biggest TV. And if the beta came out. We had the beta. We had the VCR. We had the big old, I don't know, I'm going to age myself really hard now. They used to have, like, these big <laughs> records, but they were used for the television. And, like, they didn't last long. Hmm. We had one of those players. So my. So we had a bunch of electronics. My dad had motorcycles. Like, you know, we had like a three-tier house, so we had a huge yard, So, and we live in the city. So I couldn't, as an adult, I can understand that now. As a kid, I was just like, eh, this ain't nothing.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all normal to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's my,
0: that's my norm.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, how much time was it in between when you went to senegal and when she your host sister came to um it live was like your two, months. two months two okay. months mm-hmm. okay oh, i guess i forgot to ask was this during the summer that you went to senegal
0: i guess not if you were going to school no it actually wasn't it wasn't in the summer she came in the summer okay but when we went it was in the fall because i don't so it's it's weird everybody but you can remember like and i always remember things in... um it has to be an event in my mind and i just remember the coats i remember <laughs> i remember that we had, when we got back we had to put coats on mm. and i remember when we, us leaving we had to carry those coats like anyone who who's ever traveled it's it's beyond abroad but every anytime you're on a trip like let's say you go from dc to florida and you got to take the coat the coat becomes a hindrance mm-hmm. because you don't need the coat when you're in florida right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when can i drop this coat so it's the same thing <laughs> when we went to Senegal, Morocco. It was like, oh, my God, I can't stand this coat. But as soon as we got home, we were like, oh, where's my coat?
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that that wasn't even exchanged. Um, I, I remember w- when I was, you know, in high school and there would be exchange students or I'd hear about different exchange programs. I would think, oh, that'd be cool to do. But my mom didn't want people in her house quite frankly she didn't want (laughs) she didn't want extra people in her house um i think it's really great that your parents were open to welcoming you know someone all the way from from senegal into their home i mean did they have any trepidation about hosting a student no
0: but you know what's so funny i really think that they didn't get what an exchange was until it was time for her to come oh
1: Did they not think that they would have to host her
0: until it was time I don't, to I don't get ready? Think the word exchange even resonated like to a blip. I think they were more focused on the fact that I was going. Okay, I just think that they were just so excited that I was going. You know, my dad, um, one of his things, and when he was you know raising us, he would always say, "He's like, I took the next step. It's always it's your job to take the next step." Mm-hmm. So for him, me going abroad was like the next step.
1: Mm, I see. I remember, and when we were emailing, you were saying how, you know, that trip to Senegal, Morocco changed your life. And now you, uh, you know, as you've grown over time, you've taken your relatives and your, ch- and your children abroad as well. Um, and you mentioned something about having to kind of prep your parents. Right. I guess. Do you remember what you were telling them to prepare <laughs> to go to different countries?
0: So the first, it was really ironic because we went to, we went to um, London, Paris. We went to Dubai, Oman, and some other islands in the Middle East. Um, but we did all that in like one year, like maybe four months apart. It was just like weird. Oh, wow. It was like, we're going, right? Yeah. Um, That's awesome. But my mom, so my, me and my dad are more like kumbaya, and you know I'm like as I said I'm really into people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, I had um, because I went on the trip, you know, my perceptions, especially when dealing with different cultures, changed. And um, I actually had worked into um, a Middle Eastern law office at one time, mm. and one of the things that she would have me do was to read. The newspapers from the Middle East—it really changed my perception on what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it wasn't—we were in a situation where, for our newspapers, they only talk about what is the response, but not what we're doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: When I would read the Middle Eastern papers, I really gained an understanding of like why whatever's happening is happening, right? Mm-hmm. So when we decided to go, <laughs> when we decided to go abroad, my mom. Is she? Our only thing I can say, everybody, is that my mom grew up in the fifties. So if you know if anyone grew okay. up in the fifties, they had to deal with segregation. Mm-hmm. Um, that everything that's in their face, is very, is always on surface. You know, this is happening because I'm black. This is happening because you're white. This is happening. Like, what? My, my son said somebody did something. My mom like. hmm. Are they black? Are they white? <laughs> no, not are they black. She was like, are they white? She's got better. She she tries to hold it. She holds it And I'd be so proud of her. She tried to hold it. She tried to ask other questions before she hit it with it. Are they white? But because of that, my mom also has like these conceptions of people from other countries, right? She doesn't have context hmm. of the cultural context. So with that being said, I had to say like, mom, listen, she was like, I heard they don't like black people in Paris. And I'm like, mom, listen, and you need to understand what <laughs> current climate's going on in Paris. I said, right now, they have a lot of, of people coming there from Haiti and from this country and that country. And pa- Parisians are upset. And I said, let's be clear about the Parisians at that point. I was like, Parisians are upset. With a lot of people coming in, okay? Mm-hmm. Point blank, period. <laughs> Regardless of race, okay? Mm-hmm. I was like, so if you, if someone looks at you funny, it's not because you're black. Like, you're a blip compared to whatever else they got have going on. I was like, I need you not to let that lead your journey.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I need you not to let that limit your engagement. Because I know how my mom is, right? So when we went to, um, because it was like a half trip, so we did... Did we do London first? We did London first. Mm. We did London first and then we did Paris. And you would think Paris, my parents doesn't speak French, but um, one of my little side things is I love to experience places as though I live there. So Mm. I always tell people the disclaimer, if you go with me anywhere, don't think that I'm going to be staying in a hotel with a tourist. I don't want to live a tourist life. Mm. I want to be like, you know, where the people are, Mm -hmm. I I will do touristy things, but that's not necessarily where I'm going to be. So with that being said, um, we rented a house and it's just ironically enough, we were like in the heart of everything. You know, we go out to the cafe, get our coffee and our croissants and trust. When they tell you, you haven't had a croissant (laughs) until you have a Parisian one. Oh, it's true. It's so true. (laughs) I didn't believe it till I had it. It's so true. But my parents, um, because my mom had knee, knee issues Mm-hmm. She couldn't do the steps, so she had me place her in a hotel. She didn't like that when she was like, "Why the room so small?" I'm like, "Mom, like you, you're comparing, you know, American to this place. I don't care." So, but she ended up in this great hotel with my dad.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We used Google to catch the subways. Like we were moving around. We didn't have a car. We were on the subways. We were walking around. But my parents, then they called me and they were like, "This neighborhood is beautiful." And um ironically enough, we're Muslim, so and it was like a predominantly Muslim neighborhood. Mm. Um and my parents walked around and they were like, Yeah, you know, they had this open market and they got lost and they were like, These the young kids asked them like, were they American and actually showed them how to get on the on the subway. Mm. Right? And um one of the reasons why we wanted to I wanted them to go to Paris was because my dad always um watches the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's his thing as, as a kid. And my dad's a cyclist. As a kid, we will watch it. We will watch it. And to see my dad at the starting point, like he dressed up that day, Aww. to walk it, it was so surreal. Oh, wow. It was wonderful. just surreal. He was like, what? You know, um, you know, we ate in the cafes, but that moment really stood out to me because... You know, he kept saying, thank you, thank you. Like, my parents had passports. They went to, like, a a wedding, but they never had actually been somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. for a long period of time. Um, When we went to London, we had a heart of everything. I love tea. My dad loves tea. You know, you can see, like, how my parents influenced, like, the things that I like. Mm -hmm. We went to a tea spot. We went to a tea um, cafe, and we sat, and we had tea and crumpets, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I took my son, and ironically enough right beside us was a was a woman and she was like are you from dc because she was from dc oh, wow. and she was there because she was like next time you come you gotta go to the country because they were um they had like a flower convention but the point i'm making is when you go abroad how you show up it influences how you experience everything mm-hmm. my mom had such a great time i had to t- have really explained to her i was like the black experience in America is the black experience in America. It's a different experience. And when I was able to convey that to her, and I actually had, like, really paid attention to current news, and I was able to explain things to her. Like, we were in London, and my mom was like, oh, they're they looking at me funny. I'm like, look, Mom, do you see anybody on this train smiling? <laughs> I was, she was like, no. I was like, yeah. Because like, they're cold. They're not happy. <laughs> right? But we, got, but we got on a tour. I mean, we, we talked. We met people. They would tell us where to go. We got on this one tour bus. The guy was like, we couldn't get away from him. He was telling us all the places. He's like, oh, you have to go to Brixton. You have to go with your people, right? <laughs> and we're like, what? Okay. But we went, right? Same thing we went to um the Middle East. We went to Dubai. It was beautiful. But once again, I have a habit of I will do a front-end tour to see what I want to see. Mm-hmm. But then, I so that, I can come back and I can do different things. But even with that, I mean, I think we were in Oman and my mom wasn't feeling well. How we treated that tour guide, you know, he we, he was like, I can take you to the market. And he took us to the market and it's just like, excuse me, I'm sorry, it's just like Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, Indiana Jones when, you know, when he when he's, I don't know if it's Morocco, but it reminds me of Morocco. And you know, it's tight and you got all these little stores. It it's just like that. Mm-hmm. And he could have just taken us and left us there. But he didn't. No, he fact, he bought my mom medicine. Mm, wow. And then after that, you know, he stayed with us, like while well, as we were, you know, getting things from the market and, you know, everything and made sure that we got out all right. He didn't have to do that. But once again, it's about how you show up you know that humane the humanity part of how we treat each other mm-hmm. you know with respect res- with, with most importantly respect and kindness but you know to this day my parents would be like i never thought i would be here i never thought i would travel and i have like two little boys who um who have autism spectrum
3: mm-hmm.
0: disorder and um <laughs> and it's that funny my son has sensory disorder you know, so we were on a plane, the ear popping, you know, we had to, I had to really prepare for that. I had to actually prepare them for like each step of the trip and, you know, finding accommodations, but they thoroughly enjoyed themselves. They loved it. Um, And one of the most profound things that I can say about being able to share that with my kids is that when we got home, you know, fast forward, maybe, maybe six or eight months from our trip. And um, we're driving, and my son is asking me about um, driving while black, hmm. and I had to figure out like, was I going to tell him? Was it? It's not about actually driving while black; it's about just being black. So he goes hmm. from, "I'm not going to drive," to, "I'm gonna ride a bike," <laughs> to, oh. "I'm going to walk," and and, and every Bless time him. he changes, <laughs> I have an opportunity to kind of like <laughs> let him be, but I I chose not to. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had this conversation and I'm trying to empower him, you know, the best way possible. But you the next day we're in the car, because we, you know, I dropped him off the school. And he says to me, you know, mom I'm thinking. I was like, oh yeah, what you thinking? What I was thinking is it doesn't even matter. Because I don't even plan on being here. Like, I think I want to live in London. Mm. And I was like, oh, really? That's your that's your solution? And the point in that is I was able to give my child the world. Mm -hmm. If he chooses to stay here, he chooses to stay here. But his experiences aren't dictated by not being able to go anywhere else. Like Even to this day, especially with COVID, you're talking about somebody who's trying to jump ship? Oh, mom, (laughs) we need to move to London. (laughs) Mom. We need he like we need to move to Canada. Like he's trying to find all the places for us to land. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I uh, I say, you know what? My, my son's name is sorry. I say, you know what, so I'm gonna tell you something. When I was younger, I would always say I need to have passport because when stuff gets janky, I can leave. But it never occurred to me that there would be a time when nobody would let us come.
1: <sighs> <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> <Right there. laughs> Yeah. And maybe that's partially an American thing as well. I don't
0: know <laughs> but- exactly. I, like I mean, it, it, like I was like, and then, but then, once again, we all had to be be culturally culturally mm-hmm. aware. I'm watching, I'm watching my fellow Americans in other countries acting the fool yeah. and I'm like, see, y'all gonna make us get banned, and what happened? We got, we got banned. <laughs> I was like, y'all yeah, did not know how to act. See, y'all gonna get us banned. They were like, boom, banned. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: shoot. Oh, man. Yeah. So um, when we were emailing, you mentioned something about not having – what was it? Creating, like, a situation where your children don't see limitations on where they can go. Right. So that's something that you've been able to institute already, you know.
0: Already, and they don't have any, you know (sighs) – I was watching and um, my dad loves jazz. Like I know you like this girl, her dad, my daddy's girl, but no, I think that's my dad wonderful. loves, <laughs> my dad loves jazz. And um I was watching, I don't know if it was like two Gallatin, I was watching something and I was like, so these artists were traveling to Paris and London and all of these countries during segregation here,
3: uh-huh.
0: like when money on, on the plane, like they weren't getting in somebody's car. With less than what I have now, what is my excuse? Uh-huh. And it's, it's always starts with your mindset, the limitations that you place on yourself when you make something bigger than it is, as well as the ideas. Like I tried to actually get my cousins to go with us to London in, um paris and they were like oh i can't be on the plane that long and i'm like what that's a blip look you're on a plane to go to africa okay anything less than that is a cakewalk okay mm-hmm. so once again that experience that i had at 16 it set my benchmark yeah for what's long and what's not long it, you know and so i'm always encouraging people to go i mean now you know one of the things that i I wanted to do when I went to college was actually to go abroad. But the school that I, w- I ended up going to, it didn't it didn't have that program. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't limit what I can do. And like I said, with my son, it's like he literally said to me one day, he was like, I think I'll go to college in London. What? Okay, guys, look. I'm going to tell you why he loves London. Because it's cold.
1: Oh. He likes he the, cold?
0: the cold? Oh. He loves the cold. I hate the cold. I'm like, why? He was like, it's it's cold and it's like just the right, what he said, just the right climate? I was like, but it was kind of gloomy. He was like, yeah.
1: That's I, perfect, friend.
0: That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, man. He's like, I said, well, you know what? You should do that. He was like, well, are you coming with me? What? <laughs> what? No. He said, yeah, mom, I thought about it. Of course you thought about it. I thought about it. Schools in London are better. It's like, he loves London, everybody. So he's like, yeah. schools are better. So oh, you can, they could go, kid go and you can do whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and I was looking up houses in London, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the conversion of like money, like they learn the conversion of money in both places. Um, they have accounts. So when we would go to the bank, like one of the things I wanted them to learn was like the conversion of money. Mm-hmm. As well as them actually purchasing things for themselves. So I would ask them, like, how much money do you want to take out your bank account? You know, what's that conversion? You know, they would, um, one of the things that really sticks with me when we were in Dubai was, you know, here, I'm not going to say kids are inconsequential, but it's very rare that you'll go into a store or you go into a market and the individual caters to the child. Hmm. They catered to, like, they were, they were trying to sell to my eight-year-old so hard, oh right? Like, I'm, and I'm over here like, really? Like, not the mom. Like, they were trying to sell to him so hard. And he was playing hardball. He was like, how much is it? And they were telling him how much it was. He was like, no, no, no. In American money. How much is it? <laughs> then he would defer to me. You know, he bought he bought some oils. I mean, he bought this toy. It was a very empowering engagement. But it also, like I said, when you experience something that you don't get to experience here, it raises your expectations. Mm-hmm. So whenever we go somewhere, it could be the doctor's office. It could be the psychiatrist's office. Or it could be like a store. And you don't acknowledge the person that's. The, the item is being bought for
3: mm-hmm.
0: it changes the experience for me but when you acknowledge my child and you engage him then it's like okay i really appreciate that before i experienced that in um in um dubai it wasn't even something that i was even paying attention to
1: yeah but not something that you notice and appreciate
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. And now I know it's and I appreciate it. It doesn't mean it's any less. It messes up my experience, but it adds to it Mm -hmm. as well as engaging people. You know, like my my kids have, my my son has autism. He also has sensory disorder, which means that, you know, sounds, his shoes, the feeling of of material, Mm -hmm. all those things are very acute for him. So when he goes to try on shoes, he literally will trot on the shoe and run around. Like, he got to do a test run, mm. you know. People look at him like, he's crazy, right? But then I explain to them, I'm like, okay, you know, he has sensory and that's just what he does. And they smile and then they, you know, and they let him be. Mm-hmm. And it's not a moment where I'm, I'm explaining his diagnosis. It's a moment of clarity for the individual. You know, it's so many times that, You have children or you're a parent and you have a child who has a diagnosis. So they do things particular ways. And, you know, you never put clarity around it. You just let people assume. Mm -hmm. And I've learned with my travels, you know, actually, this is like the best thing that happened to me. It's like being on this podcast. Oh. (laughs) It's being, because I'm being able to put things in perspective. Yeah, yeah. Of why some things I've changed, some ways I've changed. Um, We had an incident coming Trying to come back home from Dubai. Mm-hmm. And my son, he's like, he's 14 now. Then he was 12, but my son is like 5'9". And back then he was like 5'7. He does not look like a 12 year old. Mm-hmm. And we were going through, going through customs and something on him beat. And they pulled him to the side, you know, to, to, you know, to, to, to frisk him and do the check. I had moved up, so I wasn't quite close to him. And he was like, No, wait, my mom has it, my mom has it, I need my mom. Mm -hmm. And in comparison to the experience that he possibly could have had here. Yeah. They were really respectful. And they looked at me and they were like, Is this your son? I was like, Yes. I was like, he's just a kid. Cause like, you know, I'm I'm amped up in my experience, my American experience here. Mm -hmm. And they were like, Oh, it's okay. We just need to check him. Is it okay? Is it okay that we check him? And I said, and I looked at my son. I was like, they just want to check your pockets and, you know, pat you down. You're going to be okay. And he was like, oh, okay, it's going to be okay. And I was like, it's going to be okay. They didn't do anything to increase his fear, mm. to increase my fear. They were respectful. I mean, it was like, t- different yeah. from possible experience here. They work like, you know how like you, anyone who travels knows that when you go through, them people can be like really hard. Yeah. they can. Take off your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> put, put your stuff in there. Like, you know the routine. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true.
1: <laughs> oh, man. But they didn't treat your um you sound like a
0: threat, Mm-mm.
1: which is great.
0: Which is great. I mean, like I said, it's like just I just love to reflect, right? And this is just really helping me reflect on, you know, the experiences that we had and how that actually has increased our awareness of self mm-hmm. as well as how far we can go. Yeah, in our lives.
1: I'm glad that. Um, being on here is, is helping you to reflect. I'm glad to play a small role in helping you do that. <laughs> um, oh, you mentioned how you went to all these countries, you were traveling with your family, and you went. it was like a span of a year where you went to all these places, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you remember why y'all decided to travel so much at that particular time? So
0: I decided I, decide I wanted to go to Dubai. So what's so funny about that, it's like people here Dubai, and they're like, oh, you got to be rich to go to Dubai, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't, and I'm going to Dubai. It's just like I decided, like, I woke up one morning, I was like, I'm going to go to Dubai. My parents, who are my support system, they were like, okay, we'll go with you, because mm-hmm. we don't want you to go by yourself. So we booked all the things, and then my brother and his wife were like, oh, we think we want to go to London. And they had, at that time, their little girl was like... Two, they don't know how to act. They don't know how to act. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay. And we were like, they can't go anywhere by themselves. Because mm-hmm. they're not going to really enjoy themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is their first child. They're two. They are her world and their life. Like everything's around her. And like, you are going to go all the way abroad and by yourself? No, you're not. So we were like, we're going to. And somehow from that, you know, I arranged a whole trip. <laughs> <laughs> right, I released the entire trip, and in and, and, you know, to this day, my brother's like, "Yeah, man, I'm so glad you went. I don't know what we would have done." I'm like, "I don't know <laughs> what you would have done either," because they kept saying, "No, like y'all sure?" You know, we think it's too much. We we're like, "No, we're coming," because you don't know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. I know you don't know. To this day, like, I'm so glad you you y'all told us. So what ended up happening is we hopped on the trip. And then her sister hopped on the trip, who brought her two sons. And then her cousin hopped on the trip, <laughs> so it was like we had like a huge party,
3: mm.
0: um, with us. And like I said, we just rented a we rented a um Airbnb, and even that was surreal just to see that they have washers and dryers that do one thing, like just one machine that washes and dries. Mm. What? How come <laughs> we have that? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying that was my thing it was like ah! you know um even the house it was like you know wherever we stay in London and in Paris being able to stay in the house was surreal to be um so close like so you know one of the things I like to talk about is like they have like they have stores that are like our co- convenience stores but they have fresh croissants yeah girl yes everybody I brought it back up they have this fresh <laughs> croissants we also had like a cafe, and my brother, who only speaks a little bit of French, would be like, <laughs> "Double, double, double espresso," because he got the espresso, mm-hmm. but they don't drink coffee like we drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's really tiny. But I'm gonna tell you, and I, because I love coffee and I love tea.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I've never had coffee straight till I had a Parisian espresso, mm-hmm. and it was so good. And then my brother went back to the cafe and he was like, I need more. I need to be bigger. He was like, dooboo, dooboo. He was saying it wrong. And she was just smiling and she taught him how to say it correctly. (laughs) It was nice of her. (laughs) It was nice of her. But, you know, all I can say is like, like energy is like energy. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes it's just about trying. Like anyone who's ever thinking about going abroad, you know, you can sit here and try to learn language the best. Look, look. You might be a savant, and your your accent make me per may, may be perfect. Everybody's not like that, mm-hmm. but that doesn't should never hinder you from exploring. Right, and it doesn't mean you're going to somebody's country and you're like, oh, you best speak English. No, try get yourself a translate. Like nowadays, it's no excuse. You got apps that translate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's about putting the effort. Ask yourself, like. If someone's here and they're speaking another language, like, why? first of all, why are you upset? Like, I don't understand why you mad. But second of all, when they do try, what's your response? Mm -hmm. Like, are you working with them? Because if you were somewhere else, you would want somebody to work with you. But most importantly, try. You know, my French was rusty. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I was bringing it out. But I also (laughs) found that because, like, I'm in my 40s. So I went when I was 16. You're talking about, like, probably, like, 30-something years. It was rusty, but it was coming back. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. To hear people speak your consistent French, it was like, oh, well, I do understand. Because that's the, I don't know about your experiences, but one of the things I experienced with the language was I could understand what people were saying saying to me before I could reply. Mm. And that for me was like, whoa, did they just say what I thought they said? And I was like, yeah, they did. Like, oh, you're rocking it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty common. You know, you have the, um, I don't know the actual like technical or linguistic terms, but there's like passively knowing a language where you can understand and then more active ways of knowing a language where you can respond and like reinterpret the information you're receiving in that language. So yeah, that's cool that you could understand so much. That's awesome. Yeah, so that trip, it was supposed to be just for you, and then it kind of ballooned into like a family affair.
0: That's how that. Yeah, it ballooned into a family affair. Um, (laughs) We were trying to get everybody to go. Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel like everyone should go abroad. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if I was giving anyone any advice about going abroad, is if you have any bias or you have these like negative connotations around a particular place, really, you know, watch their news. Mm-hmm. Really get to understand, like, what's, what is what is their cultural climate, mm-hmm. right? Let go, let your guard down from your experience here, and enjoy yourself. Yeah. I mean, you know, just go in like that. I think me going in at 16 without any expectations, it didn't limit my experience. And as an adult, I'm conscious of not letting it, you know, ruin my experience. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and saying, I can. Like, you can go anywhere you want to go. The only thing that's going to keep you from going is you you really wanting to go. Like, are you saying I want to go, but you're like, I'm not going to make it? Or are you saying I'm going to go, it's going to manifest. It's going to happen. You know, as long as you're in that positive light, it'll happen. And then go and enjoy yourself. I don't even care if you go, if you have to start off small. Like, mm-hmm. some people are like, oh, I can't get on a no plane for like 18 hours. Well, go get on a plane for six hours hmm. and the next trip go to eight hours yeah. and the next trip just build, build up job. your resistance. But for me, because I went to Africa, my first gate out, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't have any breakers. <laughs> 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 I'm like, that's my benchmark.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that's like a good position to be in. Cause you have no limits, no, like really strict parameters on what you're. You know, the places you're willing to go to and the experiences you're willing to have. So, you, you mentioned, if you don't mind me asking, you mentioned that your family is, is Muslim. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering if that had any impact on your experience being in Senegal and Morocco since they're both, they're both majority Muslim
0: countries, aren't they? They are. Yeah. But no, it didn't. Um, especially in Morocco. It was weird. Hmm. Um. (laughs) It was weird because, uh, once again, I have to reiterate, timing, you know, the age. So it's 80s. um, Unlike now, you don't see a lot of Muslims, especially in the cities. You did not see a lot of Muslims. Like, you weren't going to see, like, a Muslim sister on the corner waiting for the bus. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was always treated with, like, respect. I never had to fear that someone was going to do something to me, like, get my scarf off or anything like that. So, you know, you take that experience and then you go to Morocco, which is, like, they have Muslims there. But to have to be treated in such a way, like you need to make a kissy noises, mm. you know, or if I'm out at certain times in the day, like oh you're a prostitute, it kind of like it's like weird because it's like you know you're Muslim, some some country, Muslim country, like what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it it was confusing to me. Like even you can tell that like, even now, um, in retrospect, I'm like that was like. That was confusing then, it's confusing now. I don't know what's going on. Is it because I'm American? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you were still like otherized, even though I guess maybe you thought there would be some sort of familiarity or some sort of yep. connection or, or welcoming because you're Muslim as well. But then you had all these other factors isms to deal with. Yeah. With like mm-hmm. f- being a woman, being American, being, you know, okay. Okay. Well, I was just figured I'd ask since you mentioned, um, mentioned that tidbit about your family. Okay. And, and for the exchange trip, was there any part of that that you had to pay for? Was it like fully funded or did you have to find ways to afford being able to do that?
0: Uh, outside of my passport, my shots in the front, and I didn't have to pay for anything else. Oh, okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sure you're aware that can be a burden to a lot of people or a hindrance to a lot of people Yes, is the money
0: factor. But Like I said, I tried to, I tried to go abroad before um, I had entered the contest. Mm-hmm. So I know it can be, it can be a lot. I mean, and even after I came back, <laughs> I tried to go <laughs> back out and I was like, what, what, why? What, what is going on? Like, why does it cost so much? You know, um, <laughs> like, okay, you're going to pay, you're going to give me a scholarship, for this much, but it's like this much left. Yeah. Right. And they were like always, oh, well you can fundraise. What? Mm. But once again, I was like, they, they have strong communities that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I went abroad, you know, I'm always trying to convince my kids I have like two older stepkids that I was always trying to convince like to go abroad. So they do have programs where it's, the majority of them are paid. Mm-hmm. Right. But my favorite ones are the ones where it's almost like an apprenticeship type situation, right? Mm. So you might have to do a bunch of, like, some community work or some type of volunteer work, but you don't have to come out of your pocket with a lot. Right. Um, so the, the, they have those as well. but like, okay. Yeah. Struggle's yeah. real. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily for you, you know, you didn't have to worry about um, – that's one thing at least you didn't have to worry about when you went the very first time was – trying to pay for it or whatever so that's that's great and you already answered a question i was going to ask about like advice for um travelers and such or people wanting to have some other experiences that you've had Uh, i'm wondering since you've been to so many places already do you have any other countries um or i guess even places here i guess anywhere in the world that you would like to go in the future
0: ah you know what is here yeah, I, I have places, but I'm also uh, like a road warrior type. So I get in the car, and drive like almost everywhere. Mm-hmm. But my next place, I don't know for whatever reason, I want to go to Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. I pick other places just because people mention them. And then I'll like, because me and my kids are a team, even though they're like 14 and 10, right? Because mm-hmm. I always believe in a buy-in. And I'm like, hey, do you want to go to Aruba? That was my, <laughs> one, my one thing. And my <laughs> son was like, why do we want to go there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know but don't you think that'd be <laughs> like I look like, I didn't even have a I didn't even have like a story to tell mm-hmm. about why we would want to go to Aruba but I was like do you want to go he's like no um I also want to go to Hawaii it's always been one of my places um I want to go Hawaii Egypt just because it's Egypt mm-hmm. it's another place with islands that I didn't Sometimes I I, I want to go to places because people mention them, mm-hmm. and um, and then I go Google it and I'm like, ooh, I want to go there. <laughs> um, my and my son start, he started to do that too. He um he came home one day he was like, yeah, mom, do you know that they have he at one time he was googling like extraordinary different um hotels you know across the world. Mm-hmm. He was like, do you know in Iceland they have hotels that's built out of ice? It's like yeah, okay. Don't you want to go there? No. No, I don't. It's cold. I don't want to. I don't. But I mean, you should go experience it. And that's just the funny part. That's the joy, right? Mm -hmm. When your child's telling you, you need to experience things and you're used to telling them that. Mm, So for him, it's Greenland. So I told him we would go there. Um, For my youngest son, it's Japan. I don't. He loves Japan. And he was like really disheartened when um, we weren't able to travel there for the Olympics. Oh yeah. So now he still does his research, and he comes back and he talks to me about like when he gets to go, he gets something called a boxu box, which I'm probably saying it wrong. Cause oh, he with the nerf. snacks in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is so ironic because like he has sensory, so he doesn't eat much of anything. Like, mm. That's my opinion, but for real, <laughs> he might eat, he eats several different things, but he tries everything in the box. And he gets excited when it comes. Mm-hmm. He tries everything. Um, we read because it comes with has like this uh, book that tells you like what it is, where it's from and, you know, all the things around it. To mm-hmm. the extent, you know, I said, hey, do you want to go to the Korean market? You know, we went to the Korean market here. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like they have me here. And he was just like, oh, my God. I keep telling you, Korean people have the Asians have the favorite phone. I was like, oh God, please don't be so loud. <laughs> don't be
2: loud. Oh, so
0: oh, that's their bucket list. Me, I'm really open to going anywhere they want to, but if I was to pick, it's Hawaii, even though people keep saying it's not as great as I think it is, mm. but I've never been there and you're not me. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So a
1: lot of new places on the horizon. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully sooner rather than later given current circumstances.
0: But, you yeah. know, it's mm-hmm. always good to
1: have them in mind, you know,
0: We're gonna um, get ourselves together. Maldives yeah. before we get off. I want to go there too. Can yeah. I swim? No. It's <laughs> surrounded by water. Yes. You can look at the water if you want. It just looks so beautiful. It just looks so beautiful. Every time I go, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. But look, it has a pool. You mm-hmm. can't even swim. I'm like, I know. I can put my feet in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wear a life jacket.
1: <laughs> so the Maldives is-, Maldives is one as well, which, yes. yeah, I've- it looks beautiful, obviously, Um that's what, I guess, what draws people in. So whether
0: you can swim or not, hopefully you get to go there too. <laughs> Look, no limitations. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a joke. It's a joke. Me and my brothers joke all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was telling my brother, I was like, I want to do do something. what I, I told him, I don't know where I wanted to go. I said, you know, I want to go jet skiing. He was like, you can't swim. I said, but I got a life jacket. He was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I was like, so when I fall off, the life jacket is going to push me forward. He mm-hmm. was like. You know that don't work, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, in my mind it does. I believe it works that way. Don't tell me anything different. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. I'm sure you'll be completely fine. I decided to learn how to swim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this year. Yes. I was like, girl, you're making too many excuses. Are you going to let that limit your experience? I'm like, you're going to have to learn. And so weird as I do, when I was a kid, I knew how to swim. So I think it's just fact. I just haven't swam in so many years. I doubt myself, mm. but I was like, take some lessons. Yeah. Gain your confidence and keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's, Oh, no, I had one
1: other question for you, which is, you know, where can people find you or keep up with you online? If you'd like them to do so, where can people find the parenting cipher? cipher.
0: You know? Oh, so, um, it's the parenting cipher. CIphER and I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. and um, the website is the um I have a podcast um, as well as community.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And we talk about entrepreneurship, parenting, family life, education, um, just the pieces that will actually help you be a better advocate as a parent for mm-hmm. yourself and your child. Because I also talk about self-care. Um, one of the things um, as parents that we do is that we put everybody above ourselves mm. and you get lost in the sauce. And um, it's important that you you don't that you make sure that you are taking care of yourself and that you're seen as well as your children being able to be seen as individuals Mm -hmm. versus their diagnosis. And even if your child doesn't have diagnosis, you should still catch my show because Mm -hmm. I talk about all the things, but most importantly, I talk about little factors that affect your child and they affect yourself as well as empowering yourself with knowledge of situations. And now, one of the things that's it's my peeve is that when you are a black person and we are in areas that we're not familiar with and we're looking to looking towards someone for guidance and they're giving us limited guidance and then something happens to your health or your child's health or their experience, and then you're sitting there like, I should have known. Well, no, you didn't know. You would know. And one of the purposes of my show is to give you information around all the things. So you're empowered to know what to ask in any given situation. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, in this world, you know, we look for people for guidance, but sometimes people have biases. Sometimes people can only give you what they know. And it has nothing to do with race at all. Mm -hmm. You know, you're dealing with someone who has been indoctrinated into a system. Mm -hmm. And they don't come out that system. So they can only give you what they have. Well, you can definitely ask some questions. Mm -hmm. It's never anything. Somebody told me this when I was a kid. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Mm -hmm. And you never let anybody intimidate you to think that your question is stupid. Because if they're trying to intimidate you, that means that your question wasn't stupid. It means that they don't have an answer.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's a good point. So, So you, through the Parenting Cipher, provide the guidance that people need, especially parents need, and help them, like you said, Know what questions to ask and be empowered to get the information they need and and all that. Right, just to be advocates. I
0: mean, the mm-hmm. most empowering thing, the most empowering thing for a person, and this is beyond you being a parent of a special need child, mm-hmm. is that when you're trying to empower yourself in a situation with a doctor or someone in in a school system, and then they intimidate you or they they make you feel less than your confidence. You know, is shot. You start to doubt yourself. So then you stop advocating for yourself.
3: Hmm.
0: And, you know, one of the things when I first started um, my business is like, I call myself the parent confident strategist. It's just like, you have to be confident. That's all you need to be confident. You got people cocky as hell out here in the streets. They don't know anything. Don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that they act like they do. Yeah. You know, you don't have to know everything. All you have to do is be able to ask questions. Make people respond to you.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. You know, I I had a guest on the show and we were talking about uh, being at the table. Like as black people, we have had this unconscious mindset of just being happy to be at the table. Mm. So I'm at the table. I'm so happy I'm here. I'm not going to rock the boat. You know, I'm not going to point this out. I don't want you to say this about me. Well, now we're here. We've been here. So now it's time to own the table. Mm -hmm. It's the terminology. You know exactly what you need. It's just the terms. So in my show, I always talk about terms. Talk about what to say. These are conversations that we actually have. seems like it's like one-on-one, but it's not. The only reason why I'm at the point in my life where I know is I have children who have autism spectrum, but part of the original diagnosis... Is that they have underdevelopment. So yeah. now I'm going to these specialists and I'm learning who does what with my old 80s, 70s child experience. Man, you'll learn so much. But most yeah. importantly, next time you deal with somebody, you ready. Yeah. <laughs> and you make them
1: explain it to you. Yeah. Make them explain it to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's my peeve. It's my peeve. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, with the with the work you do with the Parenting Cypher, a lot of it is coming from, like, you're imparting your own experience, you know, like, your wisdom yes. that you've learned from experience. So,
0: Yes, as well as just um, one of my other things is seeing yourself in your child's diagnosis. You know, sometimes your child has, like, for me, it's like my child had a diagnosis. Once I had, first of all, I had to be, like, okay, because at first I was, like, nope, not my child. Then I had to really kind of look into... All the pieces. Like my son's, people call it a picky eater, right? But it's just like the textures in his mouth. Yeah. He's like, I don't like it. But hey, guess what? Guess what, Danielle? <laughs> I don't like my my dry foods, my wet foods to touch. <laughs> okay? <Yeah. laughs> I don't like certain tastes together. Like I watch people, I'll be like, you just going to throw that together? That's so nasty. <laughs> so <laughs> he's just me on a little bit higher frequency. Mm-hmm. And it it helps me to be able to have patience with him Mm -hmm. as well as having patience with myself. You know, parenting imperfectly and just really empowering us as a community. I call it the parenting cipher because a cipher is when there's a bunch of people with information and you get to build
3: together. Mm -hmm.
0: And I feel like for the community, that's what we need. Like we are siloed. You know, I'm over here grinding, getting my kids in private schools for free. Right. Mm -hmm. But once I'm out of it, I'm out of it. But what would happen if I was around other people who aren't there yet, but they want to be there? Because we can have those conversations. Mm -hmm. I I know a a mom who, like, every time I talk to her, I'll be like, what? She is out here getting all the grants, right? All the grants for her son. Like, She literally took her son to Paris to get a particular care because it's only offered there. Mm. On Grant, right? I'm like, girl, what? (laughs) How do I know that's available? Because I talk to her. That's like the whole point of the cipher of any information, just like your podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, podcasting is sharing information. The cipher is the same thing, it's just that I also have um, done an extension of the podcast where I'm building community Mm -hmm. just so we can actually share ideas. But we don't have to be alone, you know, in anything. You know, what I'm like, I'm loving about your show and your reason for doing it is we have limited beliefs.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And to hear someone else's experience and how it affected their lives, that one person that wants to go and everybody around them is telling them you all the reasons why they shouldn't want to go, that gives them the, like, the, the hope and the free range to be like, you know what? I'm going.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going, and everything you say, I'm not even going to hear. I'm not going to pay attention to it. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I like that you put it that way. Um, you know, in terms of counting limiting beliefs, you know, I, obviously you and I we do that in our own way. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I never really thought to phrase it that way before, but yeah, it's true. We we both counter limiting beliefs in the work that we do and i'm glad that you're out here doing what you're doing with the parenting cipher i'm sure it means a lot to a lot of people so i hope that continues to to go well and to be fulfilling for you you know um it's it's one thing to do something that's important but you know you should also enjoy doing it as well so hopefully it continues being fun and (laughs) fulfilling for you to keep doing as well and um yeah, I just hope it, it keeps going and the community continues to grow and people are able to f- receive from it and feed into it, you know. Thank you. So, yeah. So I, I, I've i kept you for a long time already, so <laughs> that's all I had to ask of you today. I thank you for making the time once again to talk to me about your, your exchange trip and some of the other travels you've had and the impacts it's had on you and i really enjoyed hearing your um all your your anecdotes and and your wisdom and everything
0: i hope you enjoyed this conversation as well oh i did trust (laughs) me i did that's why i don't mind getting on people's podcasts because i always come out like brighter and you know (laughs) insight for sure definitely definitely
1: okay well um hope you take care and have a good evening and i'll I'll be in touch within the next couple of weeks (laughs) okay you too have a
0: nice weekend
1: all right thank you you too bye Bye, jeannie all right y'all there it is thanks to jeannie for being such a wonderful guest and i hope you like how this all turned out for the rest of you listening don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on YoungGiftedAndAbroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young Gifted and Abroad wherever podcasts are, and you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode, in two weeks, the guest is going to be an artist who studied abroad multiple times in undergrad on three different continents, actually, (laughs) and who moved to Qatar. For grad school so you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks but until then thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time